Hi, Jonathan Williams back again at the Bricks and Mortar podcast. Bricks and Mortar podcast, buying, selling, renting and investing in property. We're going to float your boat and light your candle. No much point in floating your boat out there. It is knee deep in snow. I've never seen anything like it and I guess you'd probably be exactly the same. Here in Glasgow, everything has ground to an absolute halt. Snow came in on Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday was was pretty bad and then Thursday it was just awful. Looks as if we're not going to get too much more snow and it is a real struggle at the moment. So make sure you keep warm and uh, yeah, keep looking after yourself. This week's show, we're going to interview or have interviewed Jane Buchan. A great interview there. She has given up one of these investors that has decided just to go whole hog into the investment side of things, given up the job along with the husband and going at it full throttle in connection with property. So a great, great interview there. We talk a little bit about mindset, about her fears, about issues with cash flow, great, great stuff. And so if you're thinking of making that step, and I tell you what, it's a bold, bold step to make. If you're thinking of making that step, then listen in and I'm sure you'll get some great nuggets as far as that's concerned. Three things to tell you about just before we kick off the Jane Buchan interview. One's on estate agents, one's good news for limited companies, and then there's the Harvey Rosenthal story. So let's start off with the estate agents. Here we go, we've got a client, I'm selling for a client, and he ends up getting what appears to be a great offer, property on the market, and within a couple of days, he's already got three notes of interest. Estate agents then say to him that he should close immediately. And, you know, there is probably some logic behind that, but he's only been on the market for three days. Why don't you just make sure and just give everybody an opportunity? February is one of these times where there's so much pent up demand uh, which is a hangover from the the from December uh, people come back into the market thinking I've got to buy I've got to buy I've got to buy and there's just no stock and what you find is that sort of beginning of February right through February what you'll find is that there seems to be a lot of people looking for properties but there's very little properties on the market. And so what you tend to find in February is a bit of a spike and then everybody comes into the market, sort of March, April, May, uh, and it begins to even off as the demand is satisfied by the stock levels. So we're going back to the story here with the estate agents. And I said, listen, what you should do is you should probably just wait, you know, another couple of days, give more people time because if we can get more people in to see the property more notes of interest then you're going to get a better deal and what i said uh, suggested to him was that um he should go back and, and say that the estate agent then said to him no 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 we want to close on thursday 
Um, and, and I said to him, listen, you're going to have to be careful here. You've got to be minded that the estate agent's game is very much one where at that kind of level, it's very much a case of getting the property on and getting the property off. No point for the estate agents to keep hold of stock. The way they make their money is to turn properties quickly, get their three quarters of a percent or one percent and then go on to the next one. And I just thought it seems to be moving forward too quickly. And I said, listen, what you should do is notwithstanding the fact that you've only been on two days and you've had five years and three offers, um, they wanted to set a closing date for Monday. And I thought, gosh, that's, that's odd. I wonder if they've just decided that they're not going to take any more viewers and they're almost just forcing the client's hand in connection with setting the closing date. And so what I decided, I said to him, listen, get somebody to phone up the estate agents and see whether or not they're taking viewers. And lo and behold, he got, I think it was his mother, to phone up. And the estate agent said that they couldn't allow her, his mother to view the property because they'd already set a closing date. Now, no closing date had ever been set. Yes, they'd had a conversation about a closing date, but our client had never said to the estate agents that there was going to be a closing date. So listen, if you're going to be marketing a property, make sure you're absolutely clear with the estate agents and make sure that they're batting for you. I'd mentioned there's some good news about landlords and limited companies. I've got a sniff here that the mortgage works are coming into the market with regards to limited buy-to-lets. Limited buy-to-lets are very much, you're gonna pay more, okay, for a limited buy, limited company buy-to-let. I think everybody who's in the market understands that and it's dominated by the likes of Precise, uh, Lend Invest have, have come in, uh, Shawbrook, uh, Aldermore together, okay? Um, but it's interesting to see that one of the High Street Boys, which is the Mortgage Works, part of Nationwide Building Society, have decided to dip their toe. They're, they're trialling it with a couple of brokers at the moment. And I spoke with Donald McVicker during the week there and he's telling me that probably Q2 they're looking to roll that out once they've done their investigation so look out for that that to me could potentially be game-changing because the mortgage works are undoubtedly going to undercut the likes of Precise Aldermore and so we might find that there's a bit of a bun fight as far as interest rates are concerned and that's only going to help the punter. And then moving on to Harvey Rosenthal, saw on the LinkedIn profiles that he's left Purple Bricks. So that's an interesting one, Purple Bricks all over. And I guess to me, he was the poster child of uh, Purple Bricks. He certainly knew his stuff, seemed on the face of it to be doing really well. Um, but uh, it'd be interesting just to find out exactly what's happened there. Um, has he fallen out with Purple Bricks? Um, has he decided it's not working? It'd be really interesting just to get his take on that. So we'll try and get him on and uh, he, can, he and I can chew the fat as to uh, why he decided Purple Bricks wasn't for him. So listen, those are the three things I wanted to talk about. Let's have a chat with Jane Buchan and we'll catch you on the other side.
you're going to have to try and catch that up at some point. Um, yep. It's just one of these things, isn't it? Even just the simple, simple, I'm guilty of not turning my Mac off very often. You know, right. I'll, so I'll just shut it over. Uh-huh. And, and then charge then. And then, so well, no, it's not so much that, but you open things and programs run in the background uh-huh. and things run in the background quite a lot on the Mac I think right and you don't notice it until it doesn't run slow it just eventually you just get this wee colour wheel uh-huh. and it, it freezes and it gets really frustrating uh-huh. so I had that this morning uh-huh. having to shut up and down save it all and yeah. get it back going again so yeah so we'll just have a natter have you listened to the show? Do you listen to any Briefly. of them? Yeah. Briefly. So it is pretty much just a chat about property and it can go in all sorts of weird and wonderful directions. Um, obviously, I'd sent over to you some of the questions just as a pretty much generic question, just so that you can get the grey matter thinking so you're not mm-hmm. rabbit in the headlights. But I've yet to meet anybody who's rabbit in the headlights. It's very much a case of who doesn't like talking about themselves. Uh-huh. Um, so you've got quite an interesting backstory. Um, so you've got corporate, and then enough of that, and then moved into property. But I'm assuming that there must have been some sort of desire to get into property whilst you were doing the corporate gig. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it wasn't really that I, oh, and I'd had enough of that. I actually really loved. I loved working for the bank. That I Which bank for. was it? It was Tesco Bank. Last oh, right. It was Tesco yeah, Bank. Yeah. Previously it was RBS. Or I think they call it Royal Bank of Scotland. Now. Not West now, I think. <laughs> you can't sell anything with Or RBS. Williams and Glen, whatever they're yes. going to call their retail network. <laughs> Indeed. So, I mean, I, I loved my job. I loved what I did. I loved working as part of a large company. And we worked, I'd worked on a lot of large projects. So it was cross-site um, uh-huh. and managing different like teams and yeah, yeah, yeah. so I um, I loved it and what role were you doing there? so the majority of the time I was actually in the credit card team both at, at when I worked at RBS uh-huh. and at Tesco Bank right. and it's quite a specialised product there's quite a lot of people won't realise the amount of technical stuff that goes on in the background mm-hmm. for, for your credit card to work when you go and I was going to say when you put it in the machine, but you just tap it on the machine now. Yes, yes. So there's so much goes on in the background, not uh-huh. just about managing the card, but managing the customer relationship yeah, as well. Yeah, sure. Um, it's really intelligent. I, I, I know all about that. Jen, my wife, she's at the Clydesdale Bank in the legal team there. Right. So mm-hmm. you know, while she doesn't do credit cards, she does contracts. So um, yeah, I know well, all about that. I know, <laughs> like well, a contract. We spent a lot of time, I spent a lot of time tussling with our legal department because right. one of the things that gives you a competitive edge is how you interpret and, and, and build in regulations. Uh-huh. So um, we were always not trying to cross the line, but no. trying to get as close to the line as you can possible. get. Yeah. yeah, Because a lot of the things, a lot of the regulations that come in were really counterproductive. Things that were meant to make things clear for customers and easy for customers mm-hmm. actually made it much more difficult for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were overloaded with information and, uh, you know, all these pre-contract information, things they've got to sign before they sign the contract. And Yes, can you please read that? And then yeah. they must be the and quickest then, readers in the world because something that should take you half an hour, suddenly it's two minutes and they're just signing at the bottom of the line. 
yeah. from my legal um, background, we were always very keen to make sure that any letter never went to two pages because the chances of the client reading the second page were absolutely squat diddly. I mean, you could put, write anything on the second page and, and they wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was it in the bank that you were actually doing then? What was your sort of day-to-day? So day-to-day, um, the last role that I, well, the main role that I had for most of the time I was at Tesco Bank was in customer management. Yeah. So in um, the last few years it was... Um, the welcome strategy, so how we welcome customers on to as new customers uh-huh. and um, how we made a really good journey for them. Right. And obviously, although we probably don't want to speak about that, how to get them to spend on their card, yeah, you know, and how you know how to, to make that a, a sticky relationship uh-huh. so that they start spending as soon as because that's the banks are only going to make money if you mm-hmm. spend on the card and then don't pay it, yeah, even with these zero percent long term like some of the ones that they were doing before I left was like 48 months zero percent balance transfer so they were quite wow <laughs> yeah. how can the bank the bank can't obviously make any money or do what, what how well, do they make the money in those four years so so that's a well, probably a very long conversation uh-huh. but the, the short version of it is that your zero percent is on your balance transfer, the yes. amount that you've transferred over. Yeah, yeah. You're probably going to use the card for other things in the meantime. Absolutely. Which you will pay interest on. Ah, that. Right, okay, so that's how they hook you. But you'll also pay a fee for your balance transfer. Mm-hmm. You'll also they'll also be collecting a lot of data about you, particularly with the card that the, the company that I was working with, because mm-hmm. obviously there's the tie in with Club Card. So not only do you have all the data that you collect through their credit card transactions everywhere else, yeah. you actually get really drilled down information, probably giving a more, way more information. <laughs> but you get much more um, of a of a more clear picture of the customer and their behaviours. And right, and, and then you can then, then you marketing can, guys can use that to market more products. Okay, so dipping your toe into, well, you love that job. So I've so, yet to meet somebody who absolutely loves their job and suddenly they're no longer doing that and they're doing something completely different. Well, so what happened was, um, as well as doing that, I was also running one of the biggest projects, which was to incorporate contactless technology onto Tesco Bank cards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now that, I worked on that project for a year before I, while I got assigned to the project, fell pregnant, All right, very... Yeah kind of unexpectedly to everyone else, not quite so unexpectedly to me and my partner, but it was quite quick after we met, we, we, we decided that we were going to stay together and have a family, Good. Um, and a little bit later in life for me, so um, so while I was pregnant I was working on that project, and um, it was a year in, in the making, and actually in the end, because the business case didn't stack up the project didn't move forward. Right. And that was, for me, that was just a real disappointment. A year of my Having life. Having done all of that work tears. and nothing's happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, it was the third time that project had been resurrected. Oh my goodness. And the reality is, it done, the, the numbers never ever would stack up. Uh-huh. It just became a hygiene factor and people expect to have that technology on the card. Right, right. So it was a, you have to do it. Uh-huh. Anyway. That didn't happen. So that was my last big project. And then I went off on maternity leave and had my little boy, who's yep. now three and a half. Okay. And um, it didn't occur to me at all before I had him 
how much of a big change it was going to be for me mm. um, in a really great and positive way but it just completely changed my priorities I was and your partner was working Pope so he's a commercial diver right so he okay. was working away all over the world two up right not even two on two off eight, no, eight, eight week no, away eight weeks back no, like well, eight weeks away two weeks back oh, right so, okay um, there was no some may say that's the perfect relationship <laughs> well for, for the first three or four years or three years I guess he was away 50% of the time right okay so that was fine um, I, I was pregnant had my little boy and I was working my job was in Edinburgh um, where the majority of the really good yes the bank well, that's right it still is and, and actually the majority of my career was working in Edinburgh. Uh-huh. I never considered moving there. No. I always stayed in Glasgow and, and commuted. So, you, so you've got the commute to consider, mm-hmm. thinking, well, how's that going to work? Mm-hmm. Your partner's away. Oh, exactly. So there's you, you have three hours of your day minimum commuting. Mm-hmm. Then there's the risk, as we all know, if you're on that line between Glasgow and Edinburgh, that things will go wrong, which yeah, they yeah. often did. Yeah. So... What I had to decide was when I go back to work, because at the time I had no intention of not going back to work, when I go back to work, what I'm going to do? Well, I'm going to work in Glasgow, and Tesco Bank have a large operation centre in Glasgow, so um, I'm going to work in Glasgow, and I'm going to go part-time, which I did, and obviously that meant taking a different role, and sadly it actually meant taking a step down, um, which... You know, that was fine. I made that decision based mm-hmm. on that was the right mm-hmm. thing for our family. But I was on the same money. In fact, I was on more money. So I'm not going to argue with that. Right, right. Um, okay. So so that was the decision I made. I went back to work um, in the October after he was born the year before. So he was born October 14. Went back to work October 15. And I was pregnant again in the November. <laughs> right. So... Um, how was that conversation with your line manager? Well, I, I was working at that time for such a lovely lady. We just the first time right, we met, that's good. Um, we really, we really there was a, a real connection there. She was really lovely, and mm-hmm. I was so delighted to be working in her team. It was a different role for me, but one that was probably made for me. It was like basically finding problems with processes and fixing them. Yeah, okay. A bit of a troubleshooting role, and I loved that. Right. So, um, it was a great team and it was a really and she was a lovely lady to work for but obviously you know completely understands that you know children and family and life and yeah there's, there are more important things out there mm-hmm. yeah um, so that was so that was fine so obviously that conversation didn't happen for a few months uh-huh. it was probably the start of 2016 right um, and I let her know that I would be going off again but that was that was fine it was a good time that I was yes. there and I enjoyed what I was doing and had gotten a bit of a good routine with mm-hmm. having a little boy and he was in nursery yeah. um, so as soon as you fell pregnant then we did you start thinking this isn't going to work I'd better find something else maybe when, when did you actually start thinking um, the banks maybe not for me anymore I think what happened what what actually happened was um, the, 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 the oil industry at that time really hot Ah, a low. Right, so okay. What was happening was Alex was coming back from his trips away. Uh-huh. He was spending all the time at home when he should be spending time with his pregnant wife and toddler 
and enjoying it, he was rushing about trying to get a next contract. The next contract because the mm-hmm. contracts were yeah. were drying up. And then he was starting to have to take contracts that were they were further away, they were lower rates, the the conditions weren't as good, and and my fear was that what what goes when people try and cut costs. Yes. And well, safety is one of the things that, that mm-hmm. probably is the first thing to go. Mm-hmm. And the job he was doing was, mm. was a sat diver where basically your safety is in the, your life is in the hands of the people who who control the the unit that you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're living in. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So that was a bit of a worry. Wow. Um, yeah. Guys that you don't have any rapport with, relationship with, you're just flying in not that they were doing anything, but well, the comp one one time he was in he was in SAP and uh, the company changed hands while he was in. No, I had pressurised, so it was quite a worrying time. Um, mm, yeah, because I think this was out in Nigeria or uh-huh. something, so there was a bit of unrest at the time. So you've got the beginnings of what you're thinking. Gosh, this is a perfect storm in a bad way, mm-hmm. um, and. So was property, property clearly is now the answer. Was there any other answers that you explored or so, tell me a bit about yeah, that? So by that time, um, we, I was coming towards another period of maternity leave. I would have a bit of a safety net uh-huh. for amount. Yeah. Alex was struggling to get contracts and actually ended up having to go to Australia for four weeks because he had, for his tax calculation he had okay. to be out of the country for another yes. four weeks right yeah yep. um i just couldn't get a contract at all by that time we'd actually bought we were renting out his old flat my old flat and we'd bought another buy to let right so we were already dabbling and, and you had some skin in the game yeah right and um, we'd gone through the experience that experience of you know purchasing a buy to let property um but we had absolutely no knowledge, no knowledge how to fund it, no knowledge how to stack the deal. Winging it, Com- I think is the phrase. Well, we didn't, we didn't think that at the time, the property developers here, but we took guidance from people who were around us at the time. Right. Um, and, and, you know, we made our decisions, we took our, we, we took those decisions and it was the wrong decisions actually, as it turns out, but, but everything happens for a reason and we learned lots uh-huh. from it. Yeah, okay. So, um, what happened then was he was away, and before he went away, we were thinking, we, we were thinking that proper, there was a while, conversations where, where we thought, when he stops diving, whenever that is, uh-huh. property's going to be the thing that's yes. going to support us and actually provide for our retirement and, and be the way that we look after our family and, and uh-huh. what have you. So we've got a timeline here of this is when, 2016? Start of 2016, actually. 2016, yeah. okay, right. Mm, okay. So start of 2016. Um, but it's becoming clearer that the diving is not working. I'm about to have my second baby, and he doesn't really want to be away and miss out on the big chunks. Uh-huh. Of, because, you know... How positive did you remain at that stage? Because I'd gone through, not a similar thing, but gone through a situation where I had to make a decision on doing something different, and there were concerns at doing that. I had to retrain, etc. Um, and I think it's so important to try and remain positive at that stage I think in every day and everything that you go through and that's absolutely 
of maximum importance. Mm-hmm. It's not always easy. No, it's so not. You can't just tell yourself, I'm going to be positive. <laughs> it doesn't. For me, it doesn't work like that. I've got to do certain things that put me in a state where I'm able to remain positive. Yes, okay. No matter what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I wouldn't say that it was a, ever felt a negative thing. It actually felt quite exciting because mm-hmm. the... Just the what happened while actually before he went away to Australia was that he must have saw a post on LinkedIn or I think it was LinkedIn from somebody who knew from a previous um, company that he was involved Alex was slightly involved with but not much mm-hmm. but there was a guy there that he knew called Paul McFadden mm-hmm. and saw a post that Paul had put on I don't even know what the post said but he got in contact with him and had a chat with him and said this is what's happening I'm trying to get out of the diving game I'm wanting to move into property Yeah. Um, we'd, by this time probably over the six months prior to actually we dabbled with property education but we hadn't invested any money in it mm-hmm. we just went along to three the, things the day courses and yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. even if there was a three day multiple streams of property income and all that okay. but yeah. you know, I don't know if you've been to any of them yourself I guess you probably have but there was a bit of an upsell fest yes <laughs> yes. so uh-huh. it was quite it's the entry time. drug is the three day course and then yeah. suddenly it's upsell 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 it yeah. did actually. It was quite off-putting, if I'm honest. Right. That was quite almost as if you were waiting for the next. Well, I mean, every time that sales pitch. up, you were waiting for the, and the, it usually costs this. But if you get it today, it costs this, and if you but today like, for one day. time only. So there's people at the back of the hall waiting to take your details. On you mm. go if you want to sign up, and I'm just I'm by nature quite cynical. Yes. So yes. I just thought that's just not for me. Okay. Um, so when Alex told me about the course that Paul was running, mm-hmm. the difference for me was it wasn't just a three-day course where you go along, you find out information, and then you go away yourself and implement it. Because mm-hmm. I had loads of information from those three, yeah. three-day courses okay. and not a clue how to actually put it into implement practice it. in the real world. There must have been a huge degree of cynicism to begin with. I mean, you were obviously saying that because you've been on the course and, and well, maybe, maybe I'm talking out of turn, but if you're cynical about that, there must have been an element of what's this all going to be about? Am I just going to get upsold? But clearly that wasn't what happened. So, um, no, that, that's not what happened yeah. actually. So, um, I think... So what generally happens with Alex and I is he's the ideas man. He's the one that's full of energy and enthusiasm and resilience and vision. Uh So he um, is very good at selling things to me. (laughs) So he came home with like two pages. We have to do this. this Two pages of A4. Nothing fancy, no fancy brochures, no fancy website. I don't know what they were doing at the time, whether they even had any of these things. But... It was just two sheets of A4, but when I when I looked at it, I could some you know it just the difference was there was a twelve month mentorship. Yes. Uh-huh. So there was a there was a support mechanism. There was somebody that you could speak to to bounce bounce things off, check yeah, things yeah, with. Yeah. And for me, that was a difference because that's what I like to have is that support and the connection and and some somebody to. Because uh-huh. it's then down to you as to how well you use that. 
um, and from you know the, the brief time that we've been speaking, it's clear to me that you know you would have just got in and filled your boots with regards to that. Is that fair? Yes. <laughs> so what happened was we were going to be doing um, both of us together. We'd signed up to do Protege in the June of two thousand and sixteen. Alex was away in Australia. And you're still on maternity? Not even on just... maternity. Right, okay. I'm still working. Right. So um, I'm working. He's away in Australia, sunning himself, <laughs> <laughs> um, reading inspirational books and getting yeah. all excited. Right, right. And um, he, Paul tells him that there's a space on the April protege. Mm-hmm. So because Alex had signed up, I, as his partner, was able to go along for a very small additional fee so there was the two of us could go along and because there was a space that came up in April if I wanted to go along then I could do that and also go in the June as well yes okay so I'm here I'm working I've got a toddler I'm quite heavily pregnant at the time as well and I have to get myself along to this three-day thing and it was at the time 200 St Vincent Street um, I've no idea what I'm getting into no idea what to expect um, but like your thought is that property is the the only game for you at that time, or had you looked at other options well, career wise? Well, for me, I was not. I wasn't intending on changing anything to do at with that my stage. Career. Right at that okay. stage, yeah. I was quite happy in my job. Okay, it was a different job, but uh-huh. I stepped down. But I was very happy in what I was doing. Um, I. So what persuaded you to say, corporate, nah, <laughs> that's not for me anymore? Well, the timeline was, um, I went along to a protege. The first day is um, basically very much focused on mindset. And I've done a lot of stuff, a lot of work over the years about m- mindset and, my, and the importance of mm. having the correct mindset and being positive. Yeah, and, yeah. But it's very easy in the daily clamours of life to forget stuff you know to forget the importance of that so I just had an absolute massive dose of mindset mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. on that first day and it just really cracked my mind wide open right um, okay so it was on as that as to what day. the possibilities mm-hmm. could be yeah right um, so and then that was quickly followed up by two days of the actual technical stuff about how to actually find properties how to source off-market deals. How and how much of an eye-opener was that to to almost peek behind the curtains and say, oh, right, that's how, that's how you do it? Or was it, you know what, I probably knew that, but that's maybe explained it better than the other things that I've done? Because my view very much about these things is that it's not rocket science what they teach. And if you've got the time, you could probably go online and look at all these things. And I think what courses the one that you've been on and other courses they give you accountability yeah and it's sometimes it's the accountability that is the the factor that really propels you from your career your former career to now a career in property yeah yeah so so I absolutely agree there's probably not a huge amount that's taught on probably any of the courses that you can't access online mm-hmm. but there's probably so much information online that you can access but it's like anything that's free yeah you don't you don't value it or you don't know how to incorporate yes. it yes. or how to actually make it real uh-huh. or actually how to believe that you can be the person that can make that yes. happen it's an interesting thing that you say about stuff that's free because i think the educational space 
some people balk at the amount of money that you pay for these courses. But I think what the people are selling these courses would say is that if we were papping this stuff out for free, you'd never actually use it. One of the reasons why you'd want to use it is because you've bloody well spent thousands of pounds. Um, and so there's a motivation, a monetary motivation, to say, well, listen, if I've spent all that money, then bloody hell, I'm going to have to use it. Otherwise, I'm going to have to answer to my wife. The thing I, I see about that is that having gone through that experience, I now know if I just use the knowledge that I got from the course and the time that I spent with ALG, if I just use that knowledge and apply that to my next residential purchase, I will more than save the money mm. that I paid on the yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, understood. Without a doubt. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So they've given you all these strategies um, and do you have a specific strategy that you're, you're using at the moment or... Are you quite happy to use various different strategies? So at the start, um, we didn't have a huge amount of funds. We didn't really have a network. We didn't really know how to find investors. Uh um, So that was one thing. That's what I was going to say. One thing that really filled in a big blank spot for me was the idea of package deals. So right, okay. I'd had this, I'd heard people talking at the free courses about package deals and you could make this from package deals and you could do that. And I mm-hmm. thought, how does that, how can you, how can you do that? Mm-hmm. How can you make any money from a property that you're not actually buying yourself? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I couldn't fathom it yeah. until I went on the course and then I found out how yeah. you do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's actually really simple. Uh-huh. Um, but so, so that was, that was something that was really valuable and that's what we focused on at the outset was um, package deals mm-hmm. we didn't have any investors so we basically sold our package deals through ALG's investor database right, right. and that was probably the first four or five deals uh-huh. that we put through that way and that got us t- um, basically managing through the process and, uh-huh. and just really getting to grips with the intricate mechanisms of the purchase process, yeah, which yeah. we'd all gone, we'd gone through quite a number of times ourselves, uh-huh. but it's different when you're kind of doing it. I mean, the whole sense. process is very much a massive project managing. Um, yes. If you've got a deal, it's how you're going to ha- how you're going to try and extricate as much money out of that. And so, as long as you've got the foundations in place. And that's to do with the network, that as long as you've got a network that you can sell the stuff on to, then as long as you've got the deals and the deals are proper deals and not something that is not a deal, because everybody, you, you will have understood that very quickly, that a deal's not always a deal and you've got to actually do a lot of your due diligence because something that looks like a deal to an investor might say, well, listen, I know you're telling me that's 35% below market value, but you're at it because the end value is not going to be the end value that you say. Yep. So there's a lot of of merchants out there who are trying to package up deals and so they're not packaged deals. So here's the thing. I absolutely agree with you. And that's where... Alex probably gets a bit frustrated with me because he'll go out and see a property and he'll be like, oh, it looks amazing, uh-huh. it's this and we can convert it and we can do this and do that and 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 that's where my conservative, more risk-averse, yes. sceptic side is, is helpful because I would always underestimate my own value. Uh-huh. I would always overestimate my refurb cost slightly yeah. because, there's, because I don't... 
if I'm putting a deal out to somebody, I want I don't want them ever to come back to me saying I disagree that it's a deal. Uh-huh. I want them to come back to me saying that's fantastic. I'll take that and I'll take whatever else you've got as well. Because, well, that's because it's about building a relationship. Reputation. Mm-hmm. You're, you're you're selling on reputation, exactly. and it's such a small community mm-hmm. that if you get a bad rep, mm-hmm. then it only takes one or two to go sour. Um, yeah. that you know you, you could be really really struggling yeah. so reputation is key but I, I get a lot of people and I, and I love the fact that people will come to me for help and advice and guidance uh-huh. I, I love that but I see a lot of people's deals and it is that because they're so desperate to get their first or their uh-huh. first couple of deals uh-huh. over the line they're like it's a bit of a wing and a prayer some of the Comparables and yeah, yeah, and and also what I see is um, people who would say maybe wouldn't call themselves property investors, but have experience of or maybe go to auctions and and you know are looking to buy something themselves, mm-hmm. and they'll say, oh, if I can get it for this, then it will revalue this, and I'll spend this on it, so I'll make this, and I'm like. No, you won't. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. don't forget, you're going to have your second home land tax. Yeah. Then you're going to have your auction fees if you buy at auction. Sorry, then, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> then you're going to have, you know, lots of other... Then you're going to have to... What about the time that you're actually paying a mortgage on it, but you're not actually making any yes. money on it? Yeah. Um, what about other things like buildings and insurance? You, and, you see, it's it's the homes under the hammer mentality. that they, they don't go into that whilst that... The Dion Dublin, whoever it is, is is punting these things. They always say at the end, "Oh, this is before taxes or whatever." But they never actually tell you how costly it can actually be. I mean, I'll not hear a bad word about homes under the hammer because I love it. It's the <laughs> entry drug for everybody, but it, though. But it's funny you should say that because when I was off on my first bout of maternity leave, I think I watched it every single day. Uh, well, you can't listen. And I've, I've written a blog about <laughs> this. I said, listen, if you if you holiday in Scotland, and who doesn't holiday in Scotland? Because there's so many holidays now that the kids get, that if it's a February, February week's coming up next week, and there'll be people who'll be going off, and then you get up at 10 o'clock, when you, when you should be getting up at 8, and what's on? Flipping homes under the hat, not one, but probably three of them. So you cannot avoid yeah. it if you holiday in Scotland. And, and the thing is, um, I spent a lot of time watching TV when I was on maternity <laughs> leave initially because I breastfed and there's not much you can do mm. while you're doing that. You've mm-hmm. just got to sit. There's, you've just got to sit and yeah. relax. Yeah. And I did spend a lot of time watching Homes Under the Hammer. Yeah. But it does give a very clean and happy, oh, uh-huh. and, you know, you don't see the... Yeah. I mean, going back to the package deals, I mean, I've heard various stories about people, um, not offering me, but offering people to these stories package deals and it's clear all they've done is they've just gone to the estate agent they've got a deal i.e. they've got a price agreed with the estate agent and then they try and punt that on on the basis that you know, this is you know 25 35% under mm-hmm. under market mm-hmm. value mm-hmm. i'm thinking it's already been exposed to the market mm-hmm. so really i mean you'll correct me if i'm i'm wrong but the best deals are the deals that you're able to get having developed a network so that it's deals that are never going to go to market. Those are the ones where Mm -hmm. you're going to make the most. Mm -hmm. But those are also the ones that are the hardest to find. Mm. You don't agree? Um, I don't know. It depends on what you do to find them. Uh Um, 
Can you shed any light on that, or are we really? <laughs> <laughs> is that, is well, that uh, I said, I said poking to, behind the curtains a little bit I too said, much? I said to Alex, I had said to Alex, the, the, give him a wee idea of the questions. Yeah, yeah. Posed don't give anything away. I said, is there anything you want me to say or not say? He says, right. don't be telling anyone how we find our details. <laughs> <laughs> right. But that is the magic sauce, I mean, because... There is no shortage of people with money to spend uh-huh. and to invest in property. That's not initially. That's what I thought was the scarcity. I thought, who's going to buy our deals? Mm-hmm. Who would want to buy them? Mm-hmm. Who would even? But as it turns out, there's plenty of money out mm-hmm. there. Um, what I find is the more scarce commodity is, yeah. good deals. So, so to get good deals, you've got to work bloody hard, mm-hmm. and you've got to create a really good network. Um, so yes, so you've got to go out and view a lot of properties and I'd say that that's Alex's department and mm-hmm. he does a great job. Mm-hmm. I, I, I made the mistake of viewing a couple recently and my video skills are nowhere near as good as his and um, he had to go back out and redo the video. Nice. <laughs> so um, uh, so yeah, it's important to have a good network. We also do quite a bit of advertising um, and... To your Facebook ads or... We, we tested Facebook ads. I, th- I think we're going to look at it again because uh-huh. I think there's definitely something more in that. But if you've got, um, you know, somebody looking to buy property and offering the solution of a quick sale, which mm-hmm. is what we do, mm-hmm. um, you know, a quick guaranteed sale, then they're not going to like that on Facebook because all their friends are no. going to see that they're liking it. That's so, right. And it's why I wouldn't necessarily then go sharing that Facebook page yeah, myself yeah, yeah, yeah. because I don't. That's you know that's because you're selling really the property at under value for a reason, and and probably that reason is not something that people want to actually demonstrate to yeah. all and sundry on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And the the scenarios, and we do actually do a lot of work with people where we're dealing directly with the seller, mm-hmm. and they've come to us directly, and yeah. and it is a really in a lot of cases a very sensitive situation. Mm-hmm. It's either been there's been a death in the family. Or there's been a separation, or there's you know there's been some, or there's some financial problem. Mm-hmm. So it's it's something that needs to be taken, care, yeah. you know, taken care of and, and with compassion and you know ethically as well. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, that's the thing. Ethically, it's interesting. You should you should talk about that because I'm sure that there are those out there that that will tread a very fine line with regards to going over. Or, or actually staying on the line or going over the line. One story I always like to tell is that somebody told me that they had bought a post office. Okay. And they obviously knew the oldies used to come in and draw their pension. And then when the oldies didn't come in and draw their pension, clearly they had died. So they knew where they were. So they would knock on the door and they would say, well, it's not fancy buying the property to the, re- to the relatives. And of course, the relatives were saying, well, that's fine because they might not have seen their granny or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they would rather have the money as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm saying that you should go and open a post office. I think I'm always looking for good new strategies. That sounds quite cool. I think, um, I mean, in all honesty, that is, that is a, a, a very common situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens is that the majority of people that contact us, they don't want to be putting pictures of their late parents' house online. No. They don't want to have strangers coming up to the house, uh-huh. traipsing through. It's just, they just need to put, to have closure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that where I, I feel 
good about the fact that we can help people yes. with that, those situations. You know? But when you're introducing yourself for the first time, it must be, because what you're doing is you're trying to, to do a, a sale, in essence, of, of your abilities to be able to, to sell this property. And so you must have to try and establish a rapport really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that... I sometimes think you've either got that ability, it's a very hard ability to actually learn. Um, yes, I think you can learn some sort of tricks of the trade, but is, is that something you must be... Who does... Do both of you do that? Or you must be I, good at that? But I think um, both of us do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we both have our own style. Yeah. Um, so, do you like that salesy stuff? Absolutely not. <laughs> so I would, I would never say, I would never consider what I do sales as such. Yes, it is. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But in, everything in life is everything, sales. Everything in life, because yeah. I, I always said, you know, you you go through, you know, when you go through periods of change in your life, and you do question, am I doing the right thing? Is this really me? Can I do this? I never thought I would be doing something that was sales. And then I think back and I think I had to stand up in boardrooms of very senior executives uh-huh. in the bank and sell my vision yeah. for certain projects and stuff and, and look for investment. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing this yeah. forever. <laughs> Even with your family, you have to sell things to your kids mm-hmm. to get them to do things. Yeah, I'm, never, I'm not good at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think there's a few things. So... When it comes to establishing rapport, I don't think I would ever think think of it like that. I think it's just about having the compassion for your fellow human being and okay. connecting on a human level. And yeah. I think you, everything that you come through in your life makes you the person you are. Mm-hmm. And I've came through some stuff in my life, um, which has probably made me quite empathetic, I don't yeah. know if that's how you yeah. say it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... I think in, in sales and what you're doing is that's probably one of the most important things is to have that empathy mm-hmm. and people can tell whether or not you're just at it and you're being empathetic for the sake of it. Yeah. Um, you know, it is something that's very difficult to fake, yeah. uh, but empathy is absolutely crucial I think you need to put yourself in other people's shoes and ultimately if you've not gone through those experiences it's quite difficult to have that that empathy, certainly yeah. that's what that's what I thought. Yeah, um, I mean that's it. I mean you can always identify more with somebody who's been through mm. a similar experience, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's something that I always do. I, now that I'm thinking about it, I, I would never probably have thought of this, but I always think about what I ha- where where have I experienced something the same or yes. similar that I can relate yeah, to yeah, yeah. What, what a person's going through. Because whenever, I mean, when I'm with with the legals trying to get work from, from legals or trying to get work on the, the mortgage side of things, when you're meeting a client for the first time, you're stepping into the unknown and what you're trying to get is a hook so that they've got maybe something, they play a sport that you've played or they've read a book that you've played. You're just trying to put as many fishing rods out there to hope that one of them latches on. And then once you've got that, then you've got a starter. And not only do you become comfortable, they will become more comfortable with you because they then can somehow relate on that very 
basic level. And then if you can't, I think if you can't get that quickly, then it's a, it can be a real, real struggle. And you know exactly as soon as you've got that, there's almost just a light goes off in their head and you just think to yourself, thank God for that. <laughs> right, I can now relax and do my job properly. But there's nothing worse in, in just trying to find it, trying to find it and knowing, especially if they're complete, just blank wall yeah, and you're thinking really oh god me. just give me something to work yeah. with for god's sake yeah it's why i find um, public speaking quite difficult because you don't have that same feedback from conversational cues so i find that a struggle um when i'm if i'm speaking to a group uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and i often have to try and find someone that i can um, connect with or get In some feedback from yes yeah and I think that some, from public speaking side of things, um, I told you this would go off in all sorts of weird, wonderful directions, um, but the public speaking kind of thing is interesting because there is, if you're not confident in doing that public speaking, there is something that within, they do say that in the first couple of minutes, you should have your speech so down pat that you're not worried about that because mm-hmm. the first if you have a good start like a lot of things in life if you've got a good start then you can build on that yeah. and what they say is that what you want to try and do is actually engage with some people in the audience and actually look at them mm-hmm. because you know what it's like if you're in the audience and you think oh my god you're going to ask me a question and mm-hmm. it puts them mm-hmm. it gives you the power and I think that's what you've got to try and get as much of the power as possible and somebody always told me that you should never actually look at the back of the room and we're all prone to want to do that you'll know with a BNI and doing your 60 seconds mm-hmm. I don't know when do you meet on a Wednesday or a, Friday, or a Thursday morning next time you're there you'll see so many people doing the 60 seconds and they'll just look like rabbits in the head like at the front and very few will actually take anybody on because it's not something that you're comfortable with but it's amazing though the best public speakers will actually engage with their audience and actually take time to create eye contact with them Mm -hmm. because people then say the rest of the audience then look and say well oh why is he looking he or she looking at him and they start thinking Mm -hmm. about what you're saying and therefore they actually listen to what you're saying more and probably become more interactive within the thing so yeah going back to the to the rapport thing as well I think I had a very good grounding because I had six years of working in a call centre when I first joined the bank oh god right you and if you can build a rapport over the phone yes with irate customers yeah yeah yeah. Uh um, then yeah I think that 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 definitely helped as well. Going on call centres, I've had my, my issues with Virgin Media um, to the extent that I lost the plot in a couple of times. But the person, I mean, God help them. I mean, they were buying to rights and they were absolute hopes. But the, she never took me on. He or she never took me on. Yes, and is that, I presume you're trained like that, that under no circumstances should you try and escalate this because yeah. that's not going to help the conversation moving forward. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, that's, that's uh-huh. definitely... I think it's part of... Part, that didn't always happen. There was quite a lot of escalation. <laughs> um, what Sometimes what you were just praying for that was that the customer would swear at you because then you could terminate yes, the call. Yes, I know. <laughs> um, uh-huh. But, yeah, uh-huh, you've got to have... I mean, I really have a lot of... I, I do have patience and compassion for people that are working on the phones it's mm-hmm. a really hard job no, it terrible. is a hard job yeah. um, 
and he, but no, I've not always, I've, <laughs> I've probably been that irate customer <laughs> as well, because I've got an absolute real passion, especially from the work that I did in the bank, and mm-hmm. just, I've got an absolute passion for, I want to say, it's not really customer service, it's about just doing the right things in the right way for the right reasons, yeah, and yeah. not just having spurious processes, and the worst thing you can say is, oh, company policy, or... We can't do that because, mm-hmm. I mean, especially because working in Tesco as well, there were so many different departments, the bank, Tesco.com, the stores, and none of them, club card, none of them spoke to one another, mm. didn't really share data properly. So it really infuriated me if I got a bad customer experience in yeah. the store because I'm like, I know that you can do better because uh-huh. I know how it all works. Because in the background, you just need to think out of the box a little mm-hmm. bit and mm-hmm. not be that blinkered Blinker. this is my wee bit of my job and I'm uh-huh. going to focus on that yeah. but it's very difficult to try and, and and train and persuade people to try and think outside of the box yeah. do you not find I, I, yeah I think I think you either are like that or not you just either see things you see the bigger picture or you don't uh-huh. I guess uh-huh. and, and yeah Talk to me about cash flow because clearly it's a big issue with the property developing, especially that if you go at the job full time, um, you know, after you've done your side hustle and then suddenly the, the paycheck is not coming in at the end of the month, but you've still got to get food on the table. Mm-hmm. Cash flow, was that a, a concern for you? When, I think it's always a concern uh-huh. for every business that you've got yeah. to be aware of. You've got to have that in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had times, you know, where it's been that where we've really thought, should should one of us get a job now? Right. <laughs> what should we do? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's funny because that, I don't know if you've seen that picture where it's, I don't know what it is, two feet or three feet from gold or whatever. And it's like, I don't know if you've seen it. It's a little guy, two, two guys. Mm-hmm. One's kind of walking away dejected. Um, and the other one's still hammering through like right. the miners yeah, and yeah. you can see the seam of gold the gold's there. and it just needs to keep going they just needed to keep going that little bit further and yeah. that's always yeah. been the case whenever there's been a time where we've been like oh things are getting a bit tight here uh-huh, um, uh-huh. what are we going to do should we you know sh- should we look at other cash should we look at like, pivoting doing something slightly different and then it's and it's been very quickly followed with a breakthrough, if yes. you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, cash. If we could always have more cash. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think you've you, you've got to have your pipeline. You've got to have your, your deals coming in. You've got That's to absolutely have, crucial. More probably more importantly, you've got to have your investors lined up first. Mm-hmm. That's what. Mm-hmm. That was the kind of Be- shift in thinking <clears throat> for us. Yeah. Because. There's no point in having fantastic deals if you've nobody to sell them to. Because the deal will only last for as long as the estate agent are prepared to... Because there's only so many things that you can say to the estate agent to say, I am buying the property, I am buying the property, and then suddenly, I'm not actually buying the property, I've got investors buying the property. Yeah, I think we're pretty clear up front that whether it's going to be us or whether it's going to be one of our investors. Right. Because it's not just a case of we're trying to get somebody, we'll have someone yes. ready to go, we've qualified them, we know they've got the funds, we know they're uh-huh. eligible for a mortgage, 
we've done all the work up front. So that goes back to reputation, that if you start going at this without having your foundations in place, then you're going to come a cropper. Because yeah. there's no point in saying, I've got this, this deal, and then suddenly, well, you hold on, you said that you were going to get this bought within two weeks, and you still haven't got an investor mm -hmm. there. And then that goes back to, well, is it really a deal that you can sell on? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, getting your, your end buyer as important if not more so than actually getting the deal but making sure that the deal is a, is a proper deal mm -hmm. yeah. yep and what we'll do is we'll actually take it's probably quite radical and people are listening it's, we actually take our sourcing fee up, fee up front okay so the war cry I hear is let me see your deals or send me what you've got uh -huh. well, I don't have anything to send you because what I've got is going to my investors does that make sense? So I don't have, I'm not an estate agent. I don't have yes. a list of things that I'm trying to hawk. I've uh -huh. got properties that I source to order for investors who are ready to buy. So there's not really anything going spare. That aside, I have had a deal fall through recently, so I'm looking for another investor for it. So, <laughs> um, but the majority of the time, we don't have. You know, I don't have things to send out on spec. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, if you want us to source a property for us, for you, then let's work out exactly what you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, pay your fee and we'll go and find I, it for I, you. And I guess that that should, that in fact should be the case because if you've got anything lying around, that means that you haven't actually got an investor or it possibly means that the deal's not really a great deal. So by, mm -hmm. from what you're saying, if you're doing your job properly, you shouldn't have all sorts of deals Mm -hmm. um, that you've got okay mm -hmm. so the packaging so you're doing all the packaging and then moving forward what about you investing in, in property and, and doing that are you still just doing the packaging side of things so we had a plan <laughs> which um, was that we were going to be taking some investment into the business through withdrawing money from my old pension okay that plan didn't go to plan which right. often happens so our plan was it's expensive to do that if you're... Oh, as it turns out, the pension I've got, it's probably best to leave it where it is because right. it's actually like gold standard. Yeah, yeah. Final salary, if it's a bank one, it will be it a good... Is, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a fine benefit and all the rest uh -huh. of it. So probably, I might change my mind in time, but as it stands, I'm, I'm going to leave it as it is. Yeah. So we're focusing on... Um, helping other investors and you know building up our own sort of we, we do have property but that's not because the thing you hear all the time is oh you're a property investor how many properties have you got <laughs> well I had a few but I sold them because I didn't really make great decisions on how to buy them so um, you know that that's not our main focus our main focus no. is about helping our investors build portfolios, managing their projects yeah. and sourcing. It's things. unfair that there seems to be a sort of stigma and you see this when you go on to the websites and the, and the message boards that, well, you why aren't you investing yourself? Well, so, no, you're not getting this. This is part of the property investment. There are various ways to make money and this is the one that we've chosen because this is the one that we're good at. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if that goes as well as you expect it to, then eventually you will potentially look at some other way of investing in property. But at the mm -hmm. moment, this is what this is mm -hmm. what you want to do, and I, I think that's important that you're focusing on one particular thing. Well, that's that's the thing with I've got. A, I say I'm focusing on one thing, but I do have a lot of 
things on. I've got a very young family. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very active in BNI. Yeah. Um, I've got self-employed. I've got a business. Uh-huh. Got a partner. So, and and I've got other other personal things that take up, you know, a lot of time. So, um, you know, I'm pretty flat out as it is. Yeah. You know, I've got clients that are desperate for property. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. you know, I'm. I'm you know, we're just we're focusing on what we're focusing on at the moment, and and it's and it's going really well. So good. Um, so if anybody, I'm, I'm conscious of the time here that we're coming up to sort of fifty minutes. Um, and if anybody wants to get in contact with you, just give them a, a shout out as to how they should contact you. Yeah. So I should actually say our company is Orion Property Solutions, um, as in the constellation. Um, Orion is a constellation in the sky. Um, their uh, web address is just that so it's www.orionpropertysolutions.co.uk we're also on Facebook um, Jane Buchan or Alexander Summers and, and LinkedIn um, LinkedIn's probably the best place to contact us uh-huh. so both of us um, are available to, to be contacted through LinkedIn as well good, good okay, um, I, I feel that we've just almost just scratched the surface mm-hmm. of what you do and be delighted to get you back on but before we walk you to the door um, if you've listened to any of the shows you'll know that I've got a raft of questions quick fire questions to ask you so let's start with these first property first property was um, a one bed end terrace in Gairbraid Avenue in Mary Hill with my ex-husband it was like Brookside Close and I was 19 oh was 19 that's another story with a, mor- with, a <laughs> with a mortgage yes mm-hmm. back in the day so when was that when did you buy that um, that was in 1994 or 95 oh right mm-hmm. so that is back in the God, day I'm giving my secret <laughs> <laughs> and sold when did you sell that we sold that probably about four or five years later. Right, yeah. okay. And maybe made some money on that? Pass. No, no right. That's another story for another day too. <laughs> the, the most successful early days, when before I was a, a, an investor, uh-huh. um, was I bought a one-bedroom flat in Springburn for 25000 Okay. and sold it, I think, six years later. So I bought it in, oh, 98, maybe. Yeah. I sold it in... 2005, 2006 for double the price. Wow. So that was good. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. good stuff. First car? First car was a, <laughs> God, a blue mini called Velma. Um, we bought it at auction. And An old style mini? Old or one style of the, right, mini, okay. mini club mini. It was called Velma because it looked like it had glasses on. Yes, another one. Yep. So, yeah, With the speedometer sure. in the middle, the round speedometer. Yeah, I'm showing my age again. But How long yeah. did that last? Because it lasted a long time, actually. It? it was quickly... Well, it gave way to a red Volkswagen Scirocco. <laughs> Scirocco. Also bought at auction. Right, okay. Um, so, yeah, um, my, my ex-husband had a real passion for, for, for cars right. and stuff like that. So. A registration number of the first car? Oh, God, I couldn't even tell you that. Good, I'm pleased about that. <laughs> um, first medal, sporting or otherwise? Um, first medal? The first medal? God, that's a good question. Um, uh, I can't actually think. I've got uh, I've quite a selection of medals, running medals for ten k's. Oh dear! So yeah, I, I, I had a, a couple of seasons of doing a lot of ten k's. All right. I know you like you're running as what well. What did you do a ten k in? Um, so it was the oh, I did loads of them. So ten uh-huh. k like done quite a few of the Glasgow runs. Um, 
and got it down to time wise. Oh, uh, fifty four. That's all right. Point ten or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Just yeah. a tick over eight minute miles. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I would never say I was a runner, but I, for a while I really enjoyed it. I uh-huh. even did the the ten k up in Inverness. I don't know if you. Oh yes, that. Loch Ness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Part was, of the running festival. That's the marathon, the half marathon, and the ten k. Yeah. Yeah. So I did the ten k. Oh, that's good. And it was, that was. Fantastic experience! Uh-huh. What a beautiful run! Yeah, really it's great when you've got thousands of people there doing it together. Yeah, um, and the experience at the end is and just it, great. It was my first time in Inverness, and it's such a beautiful place. It's a it? nice place. If you've not been up to Inverness, mm-hmm. then you need to get up there. It really is gorgeous. I've run the marathon twice there, um, and it's just it's super. And the, the 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 air is just so so clear and clean. It's mm-hmm. just beautiful. You need to book your accommodation well in advance, though. Yeah, and that was what I found was. Oh, was it right? Yeah, because it, because it's the running festival, so everything's uh-huh. booked out. Yeah. So we ended up staying in some woman's house. She doesn't normally rent <laughs> out rooms, but she rented one to us. It's a bit <laughs> random, but yeah. Um, first film that you can remember going to the cinema. Uh, Bambi with my mum, who sadly passed away when she was very young, oh, but. Right. Um, it's an enduring memory. Lovely. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Um, first Amongst Equals, all about books. What are you reading at the moment? Oh, God, what am I reading at the moment? I've got quite a few on the go. Um, I am reading... Um, God, what do you call it? I can't even remember the name of it. Uh, it's one... It's basically how to talk so young kids will listen that's what it's called so it's basically about how to communicate with your children right. in the right way so that they actually listen to uh-huh. and you don't just have to escalate into shouting right I haven't implemented it <laughs> so far um, I've got a few other books on the go uh-huh. um, which I can't actually remember the titles of it. best book that you could see you know what on say productivity or oh, mental awareness God, or just... how could I forget the book that I'm reading in multiple formats at the moment is Jack Canfield's Success Principles oh, okay if yeah. you ha- if you Chicken get, Soup um, well he's the author of yeah. the co-author of Chicken Soup but I think if you are going to um, in terms of success in business life relationships spirituality every area that is a book that covers it all. Uh-huh. Um, so I would recommend. So if you need one book, that's it. That's it. Jack yeah. Canfield. There are many, many others, of course, but it's certainly it's one that I've resonated a lot. Uh-huh. With. And I think once you find a book like that, then at just going back to it and having it in the physical form and noting it and mm-hmm. just it almost becomes your own. It's uh, like a Bible, obviously. Like, yeah. I don't want to go down that relationship, but. That I listened to it at first when I was on maternity leave with my little girl. I was uh-huh. just, I, I was, I was kind of, we were stepping up things in the business. Yeah. It was a challenging time. I was, I was breastfeeding. She was in nursery. I had to go there and feed her every day. So I had to walk back and forward uh-huh. to the nursery. Yeah. And I listened to Jack Canfield and, and it really lifted my spirit, but also gave me a real drive. And so yeah. I've got it on audio. I've got it on my Kindle so I can read it in bed. Right. And I've also got it in hard copy as well okay. for when I actually want to sit down and, what yeah, really go through it. Yeah. Good, good. And then final one is first bus or taxi. Would you take the bus or would you take a taxi? It's probably just to be difficult. Walk. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, because I don't know. It's one of the yeah. Bus. <laughs> would you? When was the last time you were on the bus? Because there's all life is on the bus. Well, I'll put it this way: if you're if you're taking a kid in a pram, the bus is. 
bit easier. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. But you do, uh, you do see all sorts. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's good, especially in Glasgow. The Glasgow boys. <laughs> <laughs> listen, it's been great fun, and listen, we need to have you on again. Thank you. Thanks very much. Always fascinated when I talk to clients and especially fascinated by those who have decided having had a corporate career or a, a career away from property that they decide to go in all guns full guns blazing on the property side of things I tell you what it's not something that, that I guess I ever considered I suppose when I was leaving the law it was something that I could potentially have looked at doing Um, And whilst I really enjoy property, to me, it's a side hustle. And I think it probably always be a side hustle. It's something where the flats that I've got in the background, I'm getting on a capital interest uh, mortgages. And so therefore, I'm getting somebody in essence to pay down on my pension. And that's the way that I've looked at it. But you'll you'll see from, from Jane and our flipping strategy, uh, that you know there are so many different ways to cut the cake and that's the great thing I think about property is that it's not just one game and that game is played by everybody yes there's the game of property and, and you know buying and selling and renting property but there's so many different ways in which you can make money at the property side of things and one of the ways I guess that you can make Uh, money at the property side of of things is by doing the educational slots Um, and uh, you know there's a number of educational companies out there that are training would-be entrepreneurs would-be property investors to go out there into the marketplace and I've come across one uh, fellow by the name of Kenny Martin an architect who I know very well through my BNI and I was good enough to be invited to um, a trial seminar that he was doing in connection with land development and uh, really buying land and then building not just one, not just two, but, you know, 10, 15, 20 houses on land. And it struck me that there's not a course out there, as far as I'm aware anyway, in Scotland, that allows you to do that and I think Kenny could well have have hit uh, hit gold here that he's going to launch this uh, seminar and it's a two-day seminar I'm not too sure what the costs are going to be but we were the guinea pigs myself and six others uh, at a course there held last week and I tell you what property development you know turning flats flipping flats you think that's difficult, you want to try and look at the property development and land development. There are so many moving parts. Herding cats comes to mind when we're talking about that. And, you know, I don't think it's going to be for everybody, but I tell you what, it's something that you need to to think about, explore, and see if it is for you, because there is or can be a fair amount of money that can be made in connection with the land development, but I guess it's not for the faint-hearted. So 
no doubt, Kenny, you'll be seeing him out there on the Facebook channels, on the LinkedIn, etc., and the various advertisings. But it was a very interesting, very interesting two days that we spent with him. And Kenny, he's an architect, he's been an architect for 20 odd years. And I tell you what, he knows his onions. There's no doubt about that. And if you ever get the chance to speak with Kenny or have a seminar with Kenny, then um, you know, you'll be mightily, mightily impressed. I bumped into his wife at the PPN, uh, which is the Progressive Property Network, talking there about educational establishments. Um, Philip Howard, who we've had on the show, and obviously Sandra we've had on the show as well. Philip was kind enough to invite me to do a talk at the PPN. And for those of you who were there um, as I was punting the Bricks and Mortar podcast, hopefully you had an enjoyable uh, hour or so. Uh, that's how much, that's how long that I was prattling on for. Philip gave me a 45 minute slot and I think we probably went over the hour. So apologies for that. Hopefully you found that of interest. Uh, what I did was I recorded that. So we're going to put that out probably next week. Uh, I appreciate that I've been trying to get these going on uh a weekly basis, but it's been a struggle, I have to say. It's been a real struggle. So we're going to try and get back on the wagon and get these done on a weekly basis. Looking outside, as I do, uh, the snow is beginning to fall again. So I'm going to, to wrap up here. I do hope you enjoyed that Jane Buchan interview. Next week, we've got my talk on the PPN. We're all about the property. We're taking a sideways look at property. It is your property podcast, the Bricks and Mortar podcast. See you next week.